0: Hello, friend. Hello, friend. That's lame. Maybe I should give you a name. Maybe I should give you a name. What I'm about to tell you is top secret. The coffee clash. Hi.
1: Welcome, Clatch Nation, to the Coffee Clatch Crew Mr. Robot episode review. I'm Jason. I'm Christina. And today we are reviewing episode 3.4, Runtime Error. Today, Christina is joining us from her parents' home via Skype. And Achilles, our bird, is in the room. So it's going to be like a throwback from when we first podcasting four years ago where Achilles, more often than not, will decide he's had enough of listening to us talk and he'll start getting loud. So we apologize ahead of time for that.
2: And this is back to me not being able to hear myself. I have no idea what the volume of my voice is doing. Well, for episode 3.4, IMDb gave this a 9.9. I believe this is definitely the highest rating for the season, maybe for the show so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, this show was a barn burner. It's different from all the other episodes in the point that it was all to look like one shot. It even fooled me the first time watching it. But we did find out in an interview with Sam Esmail that it wasn't all one shot, but it was a lot of long shots. And then they edited it to make it look like one shot the entire episode. And a lot of people like IMDb loved it. But other people, for some reason, I guess they wanted to go on the, oh, we're too smart to fall for that trick. Like Vulture, who wrote, the vast majority of these long takes in Mr. Robot keep the focus squarely on the action and not on camera placement. But episode 3.4, Runtime Error, unsuccessfully tries to sell the audience that the entire episode occurs in one 45-minute take. Putting aside the shoddy cheats used to disguise obvious cuts, this tactic functions less as a conduit for urgent drama and more like self-flattery. And then they went on to explain why they weren't fooled and why it wasn't that good. So watching it the second time, you can see, I guess you can say you can see where they have the cuts, but it's not obvious and it wasn't corny. I think it was a nice feel to the episode. It, definitely added to the drama and as viewers it kind of put you into the situation even more and I bet if you could see this in like VR it would really be amazing.
2: Yes and personally I thought this was amazing. I really enjoyed the episode. I think the filming of it feeling like one long shot didn't necessarily add a lot but didn't detract from it either. I I wasn't so focused on that because there was such great information and pacing and plot development happening. And Esmail himself said, I don't want the audience to fixate on the technical achievements or lack thereof of what we're doing. Because if you start thinking what someone watching the episode is thinking about, then we're lost and the storytelling is going to suffer.
1: Yeah, he doesn't want it to be a distraction. He wanted it to be an additive. And I'm sure he knew that some people would find it distracting, I guess, or feel the need. But, you know, That was Vulture and there was a lot of other websites, Metacritic and all those that really liked it. I thought it was beautiful. I thought the camera movements were awesome. And the fact that, no, it wasn't one long shot, but it was definitely long takes. And you can see the actors, like, if you fuck up, they got to start all over again. And I thought it was beautifully done. I really enjoyed it personally.
2: Well, that also combined with the no commercials for this episode for about 45 minutes, I thought enhanced that feeling that you were right there with the characters during the action. And it wasn't easy. If you want to read more about what it took to film this, IndieWire did a really great article speaking with Sam Esmail himself. And for example, according to Campbell, that first long shot one of the first sequences of the episode where Elliot exits the elevator and then goes to his cubicle took about eight or nine hours to capture with them ultimately filming 24 takes.
1: Oh my Just for God. that scene. Yeah. Cause you make one mistake or the extra is in the way they got to start all over. Even the extras had to be on point, but this is what I mean. <laughs> You said about 45 minutes or so. Even some fans had a problem with that, writing on Twitter. I'm not saying that it wasn't an amazing episode of Hashtag Mr. Robot, but USA Network shouldn't have listed it as an hour episode on the channel guide if it was only 43 minutes. It's like, come on, people. (laughs) Is it just that you wanted to complain about something?
2: Well, and we frequently get criticized for being too kind about certain episodes, but I think it's all a matter of taste because... For example, episode three, I believe the Tyrell-focused episode was not one of my favorites, whereas this style I really enjoyed. But that's what's great about the way Esmail is telling this story. He keeps putting things in there that are so different and go about it in different ways. There's bound to be something for everyone at the end of the season.
1: Absolutely. Now, if every episode was like this, I don't know if I'd be able to take it. I think it would lose its luster. But every once in a while when he does something creative, like last year he did the 90s episode and this year was the one-shot episode, I think it was fine. You know, there are a lot of obstacles with one-shot. Basically, you can't get rid of the boring stuff in the storytelling. So, for example, I agree with this. A lot of people had some issues, quote-unquote. Issue's not the right word, but... When Angela was trying to find the USB, they found that section kind of boring because you had to follow her into the nuances of opening drawers and trying to find it. So they felt like it lagged a little bit. And I agree with that. And of course, I'm jumping ahead like I always do. I thought Elliot's first half was a lot more remarkable than Angela's second half.
2: Well, overall, I just tend to enjoy Elliot more than Angela when they're on screen. But I have to disagree because during that scene where she's looking for the USB drive, I thought it was building tension. In my head, any minute somebody was going to break into that room and find her there, and she could have been in real danger, physical harm or danger, because Irving told us not all the guys that were there were dark army operatives. This entire thing could have very easily gotten away from them. But let's slow it down for a minute and talk about some stats. I want to go over the origin of our title, runtime error, which is an error that occurs while the program is running. There are many different types. One example is a logic error, which produces the wrong output. And then we have the extension .r00, which is a split compressed archive file. Files with this extension can only be launched by certain applications, and they're used to store or download large files.
1: So there's two things in that name that mirrors what happened in this episode. Runtime error, besides the obvious, is when Elliot is saying that he has a runtime error.
2: Yes, when he has his realization He knows he has to remain calm so as not to attract attention. And he actually starts to slow everything down. The whole scene moves into slow motion. He says, I wish I could see myself through your eyes. Don't you wish you could see yourself in mine? As we step through our code line by line, debugging it to find the cause of our runtime error.
1: And also what I found parallels with runtime error is the static that keeps coming when Elliot's kind of fighting the link between him and Mr. Robot or actually just changing his mood or tone or frame of mind, which I thought was brilliant. And we will go into both of the things we just said a little further later on in this episode. And the file extension is reminiscent of the HSM, which is the hardware security module, where you need a specific key to get into there. And without that key, you don't have access. So it kind of mirrors that as well.
2: And they have to download a large amount of information, right? Because essentially they're taking it off of there so they can bring it back and reprogram what they need to do with it. And we're going to get into that, breaking down the hack a little bit more later on. It's very confusing if you're not technologically inclined. We only have two quick music notes for this episode. There might have been more. But what I found was Knee Play One, which is Philip Glass from his 1976 opera Einstein on the Beach. And this played while Elliot was in the elevator and again when protesters stormed the barricade and rampaged into the E Corp building and Scene 2, Bed, which played later on in the episode.
1: One of our Clatchers, Oren, wrote about the music, and he said the music in the elevator is Einstein on the Beach by Philip Glass. Einstein's theory of special and general relativity has a lot to do with time travel, gravity, and black holes, and particle accelerators.
2: Oh, that's cool. We also had a couple of fun facts. Elliot used the name Dave Kennedy, that's what he called himself at one point when he was trying to evade capture during the episode. And this is actually the name of a real life hacker.
1: Little breadcrumbs. I love that stuff.
2: He's formed a company called TrustedSec, which is an information security consulting company. And he tweeted out something after the episode thanking Smail for mentioning him.
1: Uh, that must be the coolest feeling. You hear your name and you're like, what? Oh, shit.
2: That's awesome. <laughs> Also, do you remember the part where there's a German businessman in the elevator saying something, and because it's in a different language, we don't know what it is? Yes. I found out, he says, beginnings are difficult, beginnings are easy. Stubbornness is an art.
1: Huh. So essentially, to stick with it is the hard part?
2: That's what it sounds like.
1: Sam Esmel on Twitter, I thought this was funny, he wrote, Tonight's Mr. Robot is commercial free, so there's no excuses. Binge if you have to catch up. You will not want to miss this live experience. Also, Trump is the shittiest president in modern history. Oh, dear. And uh, if you remember a couple episodes ago, I said, in this Mr. Robot universe, Trump is viewed as an idiot. And I think maybe this is mirroring what Sam Esmail feels about Mr.
2: Trump. Yeah, but I thought when we started off the season, didn't they say they were going to continue in an Obama universe and not even traverse that much into Trump territory?
1: Yes, they did. I'm not sure if Trump is president now. I don't think so. But... I believe it's during the whole campaigning, beginnings Mm. of campaigning. But I just thought it was funny. Sam was like, just in case you missed it, I really don't like this guy. (laughs) And last week I had spoken about the fact that we are having difficulty getting those e-coin perks by the time we go into it. Every time it says sold out or out of stock. And I made a joke like maybe they're just trolling us and it's not real. I opened up the floodgates. I had said, Clatchers, let us know <laughs> if you got them. And we got flooded with people saying, "Nana, na 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 I got them. Here's a picture. You suck. <laughs> Not really, but...
2: Yeah, Jack wrote in to say, I was able to snag the Funko Pop figures. Haven't received them yet, but I've seen others on Reddit post that they got them recently. I've also seen other users post pics of the Echo Dot and Power Bank. The only way I was able to get it was through Twitter notifications from the Mr. Robot page. As soon as they post there's an eCoin perk, I logged into the site and got them. I hope they give away some more cool tech items next.
1: Edward got the figurines as well, and he sent us a picture. They look lovely. Our address is...
2: <laughs> and also Brandon said he was able to get the Funko Pop figures.
1: Oren via Twitter said, At CKC Podcast, I am an XXL, so most likely not going to fit me. In that case, I'll be happy to send it to you guys. Hashtag eCoin. Hashtag yes, please. That hoodie awesome. looks awesome. Once you get in the mail, try it on. If it doesn't fit you, let us know and we'll send you an address.
2: Also, we had a quick correction to our last episode, a pretty major one. So thank you to Josh from Delaware, who wrote in that he listened to our recap of episodes three and four and really enjoyed the podcast, but was surprised that we missed the bomb drop and failed to mention the guy who found Tyrell and shot the cop was Agent Santiago of the FBI.
1: Yeah, I can't believe we forgot that. I mean, when we were watching it, we were like, oh my God, it's Agent Santiago. But then I guess trying to do two episodes at once. We probably missed a lot of things.
2: It was a little bit much, but that for sure is big information to show that he's involved with the Dark Army. And no wonder he's been steering Dom away from that course of investigation every time she tries to go near the Dark Army and White Rose, and he keeps telling her to focus on F Society.
1: It definitely explains a lot about last season.
2: And it shows something we've been increasingly realizing all season long, how far White Rose and the Dark Army's influence actually reaches. So big thank you to Josh for that. All right, let's jump into our synopsis, which opens with Elliot on the elevator at E Corp as music plays in the background. Number one note, the music playing is counting. And that immediately was such a weird feeling, it got me anxious. And it's something that you're going to hear repeated throughout the episode, so we'll definitely talk about that. Also, anytime they're in the elevator, there's a news report playing on a TV screen in the background. For this scene, it said, UN to decide fate of the Congo. What does it mean for the relationship between world superpowers and impoverished nations? So over the course of this episode, we kind of get check-ins. What's going on with that UN vote? How is it impacting things?
1: Yeah, so it looks like the whole Congo thing is going through, which in the original plan would mean that stage two would not happen. We now know that White Rose said go with stage two anyways. Do you think this was influenced by Donald Trump? We had some clatchers wondering that as well. If you recall, White Rose said, get in touch with this Trump guy. He said it a lot cooler than that. Uh, I want to get his ear, meaning like, you know, he's going to control him. Remember he was talking about puppets. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that is a result of that. If he's not president yet, I don't think so, but we don't really know.
2: No, because what they needed was a unanimous vote from the major players that are part of the UN vote in order for the bill to pass and go through. And they're going to talk about exactly who those players are later. I don't know who is abstaining, but that's something White Rose was working to do to make sure the vote did pass. Also, once they pan over to Elliot's face, you start to hear that electrical crackling sound in the background. And Darlene calls to say they need to talk.
1: The game is afoot. <laughs> I really enjoy the way Sam That Smell does this, and I think I've said it at nauseum. The little sound effects, the music in the background... He really dictates the feeling, visually and audibly. And if he could, if our TVs had this, like Smell-O-Vision, he'd probably do it with smells as well.
2: Well, and the crackling made me keep wondering, when is Mr. Robot going to come out? I thought that's what they were foreshadowing. We've seen the screen start to skip or go fuzzy at times when he's about to make the switch. And I thought, for sure, the crackling had to be some kind of indicator. But in fact, he remained Elliot the entire episode at a time where he was really under the gun and needing to execute for himself, which I was amazed by it. I think it goes to show you just how much of those certain qualities and characteristics Elliot actually does hold within himself and his primary personality. He does not need Mr. Robot for all of those things. It seems he only needs him when he has to go through with a moral or ethical decision Hmm. that grates against him.
1: I think the crackling, yes, it had something to do with Mr. Roa, but I I felt like it was more about him changing his frame of mind. That first crackle was like the game is afoot. And then another example, and there was a few crackles in between, there was a crackle when Darlene told him that she was working for the FBI and he had to try to figure everything out real quick. And then he changed his tone and he was in that mode. So I think it was a switch going off.
2: Which is going to get the sci-fi theorists going again, I'm (laughs) sure.
1: Oh, like a robot?
2: yeah. And then the next scene we move into is where he gets to his cubicle and he's thinking to himself that something isn't right. He says, I can't put my finger on it. I'm just on autopilot running my routine. Did my daily program crash? A program should run straight through without interruption until all tasks are completed. Sometimes corrupted memory can lead to a runtime error. Is that what's happening to me now? And that's the beginning of his realization that he has lost time. He doesn't remember what happened this entire past weekend.
1: Yeah, four days to be exact. Definitely a runtime error, which again, wink, wink to the people who think he's a robot.
2: This made me wonder yet again, though, we've seen Elliot slip away for longer periods of time, the three days after the hack, when he was in hiding, after he got shot. But there were always reasons we thought for that. Four days is a long time for Mr. Robot to assert control. And it seems as though that was caused by Angela injecting him with whatever medication she's been giving him. I'm really confused. I don't understand what kind of medication could be causing him to stay in control for that duration of time.
1: That and also the fact that he has no memory of what he saw. He saw Angela and he saw Tyrell together and then Angela hit him with the uh, needle.
2: Right, and so now this does kind of lead me down that track again. Is it purely psychological? Because those pieces aren't really fitting in neatly together anymore. I am starting to wonder if there's not something more at play, but let's just keep looking for those clues throughout the rest of this episode. Elliot then goes on to comment to his cubicle mate regarding his constant graphic sex talk. When people talk like this, they're either insecure or full of shame. And I love that he inadvertently said that out loud. But he also kind of gives the guy a little respect when he starts to open up and admit things to him that it's hard to do that, what he just did, to open up to someone face to face. And that's probably why he talks to us, quote unquote.
1: When the guy started talking and he started doing his normal weirdo talk, I started typing in my notes, how is this guy that sits next to Elliot not get the hint? And then that's when Elliot (laughs) speaks up to him. So then I wrote, dash, maybe he just did. But I have a feeling even with that, this guy doesn't really get the hint. I mean, he opens up and then he says, I'm sorry, how was your weekend, man? Gives him like three seconds to answer and then just falls right back into talking about himself again.
2: Mm-hmm. But I've said it before. Part of what Rami Malek does so well is to portray how socially awkward Elliot can be at times and his interactions with other people. I thought this was one of those brilliant examples because he's also extremely stressed out while this conversation's going on. He's beginning to realize that he's been locked out of his computer account and E-Corp is in fact firing him. That morning, the Dark Army tried to run stage two, so he has to figure out how they're getting around his patch before E-Corp kicks him out and he no longer has access to this. And that really lays out for us the central theme and problem that we're going to have for the rest of the episode. This is what Elliot has to deal with. How does he figure it out before they kick him out? And, of course, he turns to us. Help me figure this out. Do not leave me. Stay focused. He also hears from Janet that his proposal worked and soon all the E Corp records will be digitized. But he knows he doesn't have a lot of time to pull this off. So he has to remain calm not attract attention, and somehow get to a computer station where he can get access to start looking this up.
1: And this starts the high stress part of the episode. He needs to run away. This woman's talking his ear off. And he can't just actually run away. He has to sneak around, find a console to get into, and do everything. It's like a
2: video game. And things aren't going right. For him, right? When he finds the first workstation with the woman at it, he's pretty sure that's going to be an easy one. And it turns out she puts it right back to him and doesn't let him on her computer.
1: Yeah, he's like, I got my mark, thinking that she's probably not that savvy with computers and he could talk his way into confusing her enough to be able to sit on her console. But nope, she knows her stuff.
2: And she's telling him she never runs this stuff from her home computer. He's got it mixed up. She refers him to a man named Fred a couple stations down. And there Elliot is able to get on the computer, goes to the website Cabana, and finds the Dark Army backdoor machine.
1: Now you thought he he went a little Mr. Robot for a second when he yelled at the guy to get up.
2: There were moments throughout the entire episode where he did seem to be kind of acting a little Mr. Robot. And the past few episodes, in fact, I think they've been playing with that idea. We used to have these very clear-cut indicators of when it was Elliot and when it's Mr. Robot. And I think Elliot is intentionally blurring those lines a little bit for us. I don't know if to make it more interesting that they're going to trip us up one of these times. We're not going to realize when it's one or the other. Or if Elliot is going to have to pull that off, as I had theorized last time, and play Mr. Robot for some reason. Or possibly the third option, which I think is the most likely, that he is starting to work on integrating some of the Mr. Robot things into his personality.
1: Absolutely. So he can get things done that he normally needed Mr. Robot to get done. Also, I thought it was cool. Fred had a Bernie bumper sticker, which just, you know, goes with the whole during the election. So, yeah, the election's still going on, actually. It just hit my head right there because he's got the Bernie bumper sticker. So they're still doing their campaigning right now. And it looks like it's in the primaries.
2: Well, and the big thing that Elliot finds out here...
1: Oh, and real quick. Sorry, we we, uh, got excited and went to Fred first with the woman that he spoke to she was talking about how fred uses go to my pc which i think is hilarious cuz at work we use that we also use vpn but sometimes we just use go to my pc which basically is a way for you to use a web browser to sign into your computer or a computer anywhere in the world that's connected to the internet and that you have access to and then you can actually from go to my pc utilize that computer's interface
2: so you can do other things while you're at work is what you're saying
1: Oh, yeah. Essentially, it can't be tracked because it's now using your home internet or wherever that computer's internet to browse the web.
2: Well, and the big thing that Elliot finds out once he's on here is that the Dark Army wants to sign their own firmware and bypass his patch. So he knows he has to get to the HSM on the 23rd floor. It's his only way to stop them.
1: Now, this whole time he's being hunted down by E Corp to get him out and I just thought it was crazy. I'm thinking about he's sneaking around trying to save them while they're walking around trying to find him and get rid of him. The dichotomy behind that is, is uh, awesome.
2: And the anxiety and tension really builds until this amazing scene where he ducks into a conference room, 4412C by the way, I don't know if that has any meaning. I'm not sure why they would share that with us, but he has to hide from security. And this is both incredibly tense but also humorous at the same time. And we don't get a lot of that from Mr. Robot. So I really appreciated the way that Rami Malek acted the scene out. They're midway through this meeting and he has to walk in and just stall long enough. You see security walking back and forth behind the windows so that they don't notice he's in there.
1: Talk about thinking on your feet, not feeling the embarrassment, and just being able to power through and waste these people's time. After he does this, hold on, almost done with this email. And he's it feels like he's burnt enough time and he's about to get kicked out of that room. He looks back, he realizes he still needs to stall. And he says, you know, Sean, sometimes I get a lot like you. Where you have a lot of anxiety because of a deadline. Where you feel pressure because something has to get done. And then all of these damn little unknown variables keep popping up. When you find yourself at the center of one of those storms, you just got to breathe. Just let go. Get it done.
2: Yeah, that perfectly mirrored what he's going through in the moment, and it kills just enough time because as soon as he goes to walk out, he has a free moment, but security does recognize him and they start making their way after him. Luckily, he makes it to the elevator on time, but he still knows as soon as he gets down to the lobby, they're just going to kick him out. Oh, and I really like the struggle that Elliot goes through once he gets on the elevator. He starts talking to us again, saying, what should I do? You never answer me.
0: I'm going to the lobby. Security will force me out. What should I do? What would you do? That's right. You never answer me. Is this why I created Mr. Robot? To help me get out of situations like this? At least he interacts with me. If Mr. Robot was here, what would he do?
2: This is why I created Mr. Robot. And I think this is the first time he's admitted out loud. I intentionally created Mr. Robot. This was a product of my own mind. And I did it because I need help to get myself out of these tough calls. And that's why I was really impressed that he kept going through these high stress, high anxiety situations without turning. And it does continue to bring up the question for me of who are we as the audience? Are we his conscience? Are we his imaginary friend, as Mr. Robot refers to us? Or are we yet another aspect of his personality? Is there a third in there?
1: Yeah, Oren asked that same question to us. Who are we? I mean, who is Elliot really talking to? I know I am three seasons behind asking this. But I was taunted by House of Cards Frank Underwood always talking to the camera. It's true, I think that's one of the many reasons that initially we were so intrigued by the show because no, it wasn't the first show or movie to do that. But the way they did it was very intriguing. And I think the fact that we don't know who we are or it's up to us to devise who we are, I I love that.
2: Well, and it does often feel like this is how he started. He started out with someone like us, a conscience or an inner guide that he could talk to, but because we didn't answer back and we weren't able to help get him out of some really difficult or maybe even traumatic situations, he had to go more extreme and start to compartmentalize, to break off a piece of his mind that was able to deal with these things and could tell him exactly what to do at any given time. If he stops needing that and is able to have a better relationship with us and kind of answer himself, bring himself to his own conclusions, will he then no longer need Mr. Robot? So I think it's really important to track his exact words at times like this to us and how they are changing or not over the course of the past couple of seasons.
1: Right after he says that, Mr. Robot joins him in the elevator.
2: Yeah, but that was an interesting interaction as well because Robot tells him he has to accept the truth. He can't stop it. And this causes Elliot to realize the real concern is actually getting the people out of the building, not so much that he has to stop it from blowing up, but to save them. And he says he knows that Mr. Robot wasn't really there. I don't believe we've ever heard him say something like that.
1: Yeah, he knew it was just his imagination. But I think it's different than what we used to see when they were together. This one, he was controlling it. I was ecstatic when I first saw him because I was like, wow, this is the first time Robot and Elliot together in one scene talking to each other this season. It's been a while since we saw that. And I forgot how much I love the way Christian Slater and Rami Malek bounce off of each other. They're brilliant when they're together in scenes. And that's the thing that's been missing this season.
2: I agree. I don't think he was experiencing a dissociation. He was pulling that part of himself out from the void, so to speak. That's how he says it. We've been battling each other in our own voids so that he could use it. He could rely on the strength and bounce off of him to get to the answer ultimately he needed. What do I do next? And I think that's a huge step of progress for Elliot's mental health. And in the next scene, when Elliot gets down to the lobby, security does, in fact, escort him outside where people are protesting. And he calls the data center to warn them that it's going to explode. They need to get everyone out of the building. Do you think that's going to work? Do you think they're going to listen to him?
1: Not at all. I mean, it was loud. The woman could hardly understand him. He first was bringing up the UPS, and she was like, Oh, UPS, we use FedEx. (laughs) So, no, I don't think at all. Nothing. That didn't help at all.
2: Well, in the end, he made himself clearer. He said, listen, it's going to blow up. Stop it. Get them out of there. But yeah, I'm not feeling very confident about it. And there was a little bit of smart filming in the fact that as soon as he said that, that's when Darlene walked up. And there's been a lot of speculating. Is she going to be one of the casualties when this building does explode? So they have this intense conversation where Darlene tells Elliot she's been working with the FBI. For a while now, in fact, it's been going on since Cisco, and they've been following them for months. They know everything. She made a deal for the two of them, and that's to give them Tyrell. And talk about the way Esmail directs and decides to film. This is when all of that outside noise of the protesters quiets down as Elliot comes to the realization this is why Darlene hacked him, just gets kind of muted
1: Yep, and we get that electrical cracking again.
2: Yeah, and another big realization, as you said before, if that's when we're hearing the crackling, he understands while he's mad she lied to him, he's also wondering if part of this isn't his own fault. Wasn't it part of him that let this happen to begin with?
1: Yes, and this is something that you alluded to, I think, last episode or two episodes? No, probably last episode. You were saying how Elliot needed Mr. Robot still, and... You felt like, yes, he was thwarting the stage two hack, but at the same time letting it happen, like a part of him still wanted it to go through.
2: Yeah, but he's starting to accept that. You know, again, a big part of the reason he's always needed Mr. Robot was he couldn't reconcile himself to these decisions. We saw him admitting That part of him did want to see where stage two went a couple episodes ago. And now we see him admitting to himself, maybe this is partially my fault. These are all really big improvements for Elliot.
1: So do you think he's no longer going to trust her?
2: Well, this made me really worried. It seemed like he was feeling incredibly betrayed. I mean, she also tells him that Robot snuck out and met up with Angela. And they've been working with Tyrell. This is when he realizes this is my runtime error. And that's actually when the electrical crackling starts happening. And that's That's what made me question. Are we going to see some kind of a split? Because that was a really big thing to come to. Both Angela and Darlene have been betraying him. But the noise of the background comes back up. He's able to deal with it and move on, move forward. Even if there is some kind of relationship in store, For him with Darlene or Angela, I don't think it's ever going to be the same for him. And Darlene knew this. She talked to Dom about this, that this could be the end of their brother-sisterhood.
1: And let's keep in mind that last episode ended with her packing up her stuff, going into his apartment and putting that picture back. She knows that at this point, she might have to run.
2: Yeah, another thing for Elliot, while he's talking to Darlene, he's making an awful lot of direct eye contact and has been doing so throughout the course of this episode more than we've seen before. And that's another element that we were supposed to be looking for to tip us off to Mr. Robot. So again, potentially things that Elliot's able to integrate.
1: Yeah, the rules are changing. They're constantly changing. We no longer have a set guideline of Elliot and Robot. What I found interesting, Angela's been betraying him. Darlene's been betraying him. And so have we, because we knew about this. We've been discussing on this podcast the past couple of episodes what's going on to Elliot, who's messing with him, who's going behind his back. And I find it interesting that the fourth wall that is us have been talking about it, but never can tell him about it.
2: Well, and we've paid for that before.
1: Yes, we have. Right? He stopped By talking keeping to us. Things
2: from him. Yeah.
1: Actually, he didn't just stop talking to us, he played with our minds. He told he us lied the to wrong us. things.
2: Yep. We also hear more counting. Now, towards the end of the scene, and it's a countdown for the reporters to start talking. But this is about the third time we'd recognized it. And you and I both said, is this a foreshadowing for the bomb that's going to go off when the building eventually blows up? Is that why the repeated countdowns throughout the episode?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons. One, it does cause tension with us, especially since we're amidst of it. We don't get any breaks. We're part of that whole storyline right now. We're going on that ride. So yeah, it could be the countdown to the bomb. It could also be, because there's a lot of long shot scenes, this could also have been a way for them to count down into this next actress, who's the news reporter, to start talking. So it's all being used as a tool, but it's all blending very well. And it's also a countdown into the second half of the episode. We now go away from Elliot's storyline and we go into Angela's. And they do that by starting it off with this news story, And then breaking it up beautifully. Because it would be jarring if they just went from like Elliot's face to Angela's face. How would they get there? They need to travel all the way back up to keep it looking like a one-shot. So they do it brilliantly in this next scene.
2: Well, they follow the action. And that's why it feels so natural. The camera comes up behind the protesters as they're pushing forward towards the front of the line. Where security's blocking them. And they just start throwing gas bombs, tear bombs at the security, until they're able to rush them and get inside the E-Corp building. There's pandemonium. They start trashing the place. A group manages to get on the elevator. And here it quiets down for a second and we get the TV coverage again to update us on the UN vote. This is where they mention all five permanent members must be in unanimous agreement for the measure to be adopted. And those members include China, France, the Russian Federation, the UK, and the US. And the music starts to count up now. So instead of counting backwards, we're going one, two, three, four. It's very slow elevator, but then as soon as they get onto the floor, it starts to speed up rapidly. That creates increasing amounts of tension. We're really starting to feel nervous for what's going to happen. And then we shift to Angela. As you said, the the focus finally comes to her because Irving calls her and tells her to move toward the elevator door and pick up a package. This whole distraction was created for her so they could do this. Apparently, they ran into a snag, and they need to have her find Elliot to implement the contingency plan, which is to get to the HSM computer and make a backup of it. She needs to take the package to him, which will contain all the equipment he needs.
1: These rallies have been going on in front of E Corp for a long time now. The difference in today is that the Dark Army had those four guys that we followed through the crowd initiate the riot. So they had four guys. There's no way for them to control what happens afterwards. So those four guys throw the bottle because we saw he had that bottle when he started walking into the crowd and blow over the barriers and then the crowd follows in their anger. And they just go to town on E-Corp.
2: Yeah, but I wonder what the actual plan was. What was the snag that they hit? And why did they need Elliot to go and make this backup now of the computer?
1: Because Elliot had put in code and changed the vulnerable parts of the server. He fixed it. So all that code that they had that was going to go in and blow up the USBs will no longer work. And that's why they had to do this riot so that Angela, well, Angela was supposed to give it to Elliot, can go into the HSM room, get the keys, because they can't change the code back. You need to be in there. Get the keys and copy it so that they could put back in the old code that they know they have access to and then implement phase two.
2: That's kind of what I thought. But if this is all because of what Elliot did, why are they trusting Elliot now to help turn it around and make a copy for them and get it to them? Won't he know that's exactly what they're doing and try to stop that again?
1: Irving and the Dark Army don't know. That's why Angela didn't go see him. She gave Irving the false reasoning being that during this riot, I couldn't find him and we didn't have time. So I had to go do it myself. But the reality is she knew that they couldn't trust Elliot. Her and Tyrell know, but the Dark Army and Irving don't.
2: Oh, okay. You still think they don't know any of that?
1: No, they don't. They don't even know he was fired yet, at least. So that's why she didn't give him the key or that, that or not the key, the, uh, the package that she was given.
2: Well, that makes sense. She's been having a really difficult time. Part of her main responsibility was to keep Elliot and Mr. Robot in line while the entire operation got carried out. And she really hasn't been able to do that. She's been telling everyone it's fine. She is keeping them in balance, but she's not. (laughs) And I think only she knows how much Elliot is threatening Mr. Robot. So once she's on the elevator, she does ignore the phone call from him and goes to take care of it herself. She almost runs into a real problem because the security guard gets on and wants to escort her to a safe room. And the ID pass falls out of the package, showing someone else with higher level clearance. She tries to start making up a story, but the security guard gets suspicious of her. But before he can take her in, he is attacked the moment they get off the elevator. So Angela is able to make it into a room and lock it.
1: Yeah, this guy was kind of dumb. Like, why would he give a shit during this whole time that she has a different badge and he's walking around like, oh, I need to ask you some questions. And he just walks out as if nothing. I would have been on guard because obviously you're wearing a security jacket and there's people rioting. They're going to see you and they're going to attack you. You're not blending. That's what
2: I said. This is really what you're concerned about in the middle of this crazy riot, why she has this badge. But this is where we lead into what I thought was a really cool series with the camera where they track Angela from above as she moves through different rooms and doors all the way to the end where you're actually seeing partially outside of the building down to the ground.
1: That was such an amazing shot.
2: A digital After Show later talked about an interview they did with Esmail where he speaks of the shot in the frame where they go off the building he did that in order to try to show Angela is only one small part of the picture.
1: Because she's so tiny down there. Again, it's, it just, just shows you that he's using TV as his canvas and he's painting pictures for us. He's an artist.
2: And again, for me, it created tension as she's moving through the different rooms. Is someone going to find her? Is she going to be able to get in there? Is she going to get hurt? Is she going to be able to find the USB key? Which, of course, she eventually does. She finds it, plugs it in, and copies the data. It looks like everything goes smoothly. But of course, later when Irving questions her, is she sure she did everything on that list that was inside the package? You have to wonder, Yeah. right? It, Are they bringing that up because she really did miss something and it's going to be a problem?
1: Well, I do wonder. I mean, she kind of hesitated and she was under a lot of stress. When she was trying to find that USB drive, a woman came in. She eventually caught on to the fact that Angela had a badge that shouldn't have allowed her to get into that room. And then, of course, they get bombarded by someone from the riot. And then that's when the woman sprays him. And she just runs back into the room, the safe room. So in this haste and everything that's going on, I mean, I probably would have missed something. And she's not Elliot, so she may have missed something as well.
2: Absolutely. It feels like it's all starting to come to a head for Angela and this is really going to blow up in her face very shortly.
1: Speaking of blow up in her face, she had to, once she completed copying those files and getting the keys, she had to put on that mask that was just sprayed with pepper spray. That must have been very painful. And she starts walking out pretty smart. This was very smart of her. It's got that hood on. One of our clatchers, Jittery kangaroo, wrote to us and said, with a picture. Did you happen to catch this? It really looks like Elliot in the background. I wonder what he's up to. And it's a screenshot of her when she's walking through the hallways with that mask on. She's right at the elevator. There's a guy, a figure running from left to right behind her. And it looks like Elliot booking it to right where she used to be, to that room.
2: Well, that would make sense because that's where he's been desperately trying to get to this whole time. And we do see him come up on Angela. Very shortly after this, by the end of the episode. So as you said, yeah, she's able to get out of there using the cloak and the mask. We hear again in the background, the final update on the UN vote. Frank Cody says, if China pulls another move like this, it will compromise the US as a superpower and they have greenlit China to annex the Congo. It passed. It went through.
1: White Rose is winning the game. Her conversation with Irving. Again, I love Irving. This character is amazing. The way he speaks to her, the things he divulges, it was just a great scene for me. What the hell are you
0: talking about?
2: Your distraction is fucking overkill. I couldn't find him in the middle of a goddamn riot. Your men came after me.
0: But well, they're not all hours. Just because we lit the fuse doesn't mean we control the explosion. You weren't supposed to be on that floor anyway.
2: He said you wanted it done immediately, so I got it done.
0: Uh-huh. This woman who saw you, did you get her name? Lydia Riley. We'll take care of it. So you were able to follow everything on that sheet of paper, huh? Angela, if you didn't do everything on that list. Yes, yeah, I got it done. Oh, good. There's a delivery man waiting for you at reception on your floor. Give him the package with everything in it. Irving, are you still going to evacuate the recovery center? That's been done already. This is really happening? We need you to stay strong. Like you said, she can make all of this better. This is a step toward that. Remember the cause.
2: And he knows, right, that it's a lie when she blames it on the distraction being overkill. It sounds like he knows she's bullshitting.
1: That, I don't know. Um, Maybe.
2: She she also asks again about the recovery center and if it's been evacuated. And he says yes again, but they're really kind of calling attention to this. And then he has a weird sign-off line. It's like you said, she can make all of this better. This is a step toward that remember the cause. I'm Um, starting to wonder if Irving even knows anything about what Angela has talked to White Rose about or whatever it is that she thinks is the greater cause or if he's just bullshitting like he does with everyone to keep them moving, keep them doing what they need to do the way he played Tyrell and is not playing Angela.
1: You may be right. And it's also in this conversation where he does let us know what we were asking at that point. I kept saying, well, are all those protesters part of the Dark Army? Can't be. It's got to be maybe just those four guys. And he does say... We lit the fuse, but there's no way of controlling how big the bomb is and what happens after the bomb or something like that. it was
2: a riot. It It got out of control. But he did manage to get his man there. You know, he instructs her that next delivery man will be waiting on her floor and she should give him the package with everything in it. And it turns out it's the man from the warehouse in the white suit. He's waiting for her and still eating red wheelbarrow. I thought
1: this—it was so funny because we have been on the edge of our seats this whole dramatic episode. Pins and needles, right? Freaking out. It's high tension, and he ends the episode with a funny wink, wink to us. There's the guy eating those friggin' red wheelbarrow burgers.
2: What is up with this guy? We're
1: still wearing that <laughs> that suit, that hazmat suit.
2: Perfectly pristine white. Somehow he managed to get in there and up to the floor. No trouble in the midst of all this.
1: And he's so chill. He's always so chill.
2: And he takes the package from her and hands her the bag. When she takes it, she looks terrified. Why do you think that is? What's in the bag?
1: I have no idea. I wonder. What does she think it is? Is it a, like a bomb or something? Another burger?
2: <laughs> a, ma- a message from White Rose of some sort?
1: It must be. And I, I anticipate we'll find out, hopefully, next episode. But it is intriguing, and it was a good plan on Esmel's behalf because he made it important enough to us through her face.
2: For sure. That was a genuine, terrified reaction. And it ends on the note of Elliot finding her and saying, something you want to tell me?
1: Yep. He's on the 41st floor. He just found out about her talking to Mr. Robot and that they've been planning things together. And also, I'm wondering if he found out she must have been in that room because that USB guaranteed, if he was able to get in, He couldn't find it because she has it. Absolutely. And he's smart enough. Maybe even if he went into the terminal and opened it up, he probably saw that someone was just in there.
2: Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second. What exactly happened with that hack and everything that went down? We watched the digital after show and they kind of broke it down a little bit for us in a way that helped me. They explained that Angela broke in to get the firmware sign-in key from the HSM. We know the Dark Army was going to hack into the batteries to make them explode. But Elliot reprogrammed the battery software. The Dark Army is now trying to put the old software or firmware back. You need a key to authorize the software. In order to get that, you need to physically get it off the computer to make a copy. And that's what Angela did. But they haven't yet reprogrammed the software. That's why she had to give it to the delivery man to take to the Dark Army.
1: That's right. And they wouldn't be able to reprogram it without those keys. So the deed isn't done yet, and Elliot still has time to figure something out.
2: Absolutely. If this guy has to get it to them to reprogram and then bring it back, and then they initiate the blowing up of the building, you have to figure that's going to take a little bit of time.
1: So let me ask you, do you want him to succeed in stopping phase two, or do you want to see phase two happen?
2: Yes, I want him to stop them. Because If we thought it was just getting rid of the paper records and this could be for a greater, bigger cause, that would be different. The way they've been painting this is very different than the way they painted the Elliot hack in seasons one and two, where Elliot talked about how terrible everything was in the world, how he had to change Mm -hmm. things. That's why they came up with this plan in the first place. Now, with stage two, the only thing they keep talking about are the inherent risks, the dangers, the fact that. We don't think that building is going to be evacuated by the time they blow it up. And the state that they put the world in that they keep showing us is terrible. Society is a mess. And it seems they want to just keep eradicating any way from going back to the old system without a plan for what they're going to do with the new system. How are they going to help now?
1: Now, he doesn't necessarily need to stop them, but he needs to continue to delay it because we did find out this episode that his boss succeeded in getting the votes to implement a digital backup system as opposed to just all paper in one building. So if he can stall them long enough, maybe blowing up that building won't cause that much of an issue.
2: All right. So that pretty well sums up the episode. A lot happened in runtime error. Let's move into our robot rating.
1: Before we give you our bot ratings, we ask if you dig what you're listening to, give us a rating on iTunes. Either our main channel or our Mr. Robot channel. Give us a rating and a review. All it does is help us in the rankings and it helps other people know that, hey, maybe I should listen to these guys. And as they say, every vote counts.
2: All right, Jason. So on a scale of what to 10, what do you give episode 3.4?
1: I'm going to go way up. I'm going 9.8. I enjoyed the ride. Someone for sure is getting an award for this episode. Either Elliot or Sam Esmell, or Mr. Robot as a whole.
2: I think you're sneaking a look at my notes again. I, too, went up to a 9.8, and I don't know that I've ever rated Mr. Robot this high. You or at least 9. not 8? since very early in season one.
1: Sorry, you did 9.8 as well? This I is did. Re- this is getting ridiculous. It really I is. <laughs> this episode marks a new phase of the story in which all alliances and conflicts are out in the open. Everyone knows right now.
2: And it truly might be my favorite episode since very early in season one. I mean, they really hooked me with all the different elements that Smail had going on in the story from the psyche behind the characters to the interactions to the technological side of the hacking. Even when I don't understand it, there's a lot of crazy plot stuff happening that makes this very exciting. They rolled all of that into one episode combined with Smail's artsiness. I really enjoyed it.
1: Now let's move on to our most valuable hacker. Just like every week, we asked our Clatchers to vote on Twitter, at CKC Podcast for what their most valuable hacker for that particular episode is. And the final results are in. Now this episode was very centered on a few key characters, so we only gave you guys three options. Elliot, Angela, and Irving. And coming in at third is Irving at 4%, which is to be expected. He was only on the phone. Hmm. Coming in... Second, with 44%, Elliot. Wow. And first place, 52% for Angela. So it looks like the Clashers do not agree with me, thinking that Angela's second half of the storyline wasn't as exciting as Elliot's first.
2: Well, she was the one actually able to pull it off, right? So I guess maybe that's why they're giving it to her. Elliot gave it a valiant effort, but she was the one that made it to the HSM, got the information, went around Elliot, and was able to do it. Uh, for that reason, that's why I don't want to name her MBH. I know she was really good with her hacking skills there, but I don't want the end game result of what that leads to. Plus, there was just such exciting stuff happening for Elliot that I mentioned all throughout the episode, what he's coming to psychologically. I have to give it to him. Elliot is my MBH.
1: I'm going to go with the choreographers for the camera. No, not really, (laughs) but they do deserve an award. I thought that was beautifully done. I went with Elliot as well. I love his acting. I loved in the beginning when he starts to speak to us right before the opening title and he looks up while he's putting his stuff in his book bag and he's kneeling down and he tells us to pay attention and then he looks up at us. Rami Malek's visual nuances or facial nuances are amazing.
2: Oh yeah, he had to do a range of acting for this episode too. I thought he did a wonderful job.
1: Moving on to Clatcher's comments, we went through most of them. Just have a few left. We have two in regards to last episode, or episode three actually. At Rebel Eclectic wrote, Episode three beginning sequence, Axe, Cabin, and Hotel were all nods to The Shining. I love that because we were saying it was like a scary movie. Yes. She also wrote, Personally, I thought Angela's question about believing in it has everything to do with her talk she had with Elliot about what if we could make it like none of this ever happened, everything. Yes, I agree because Angela was talking to Elliot reflecting off of what White Rose once said to her. So yes, I I agree with you. And I think in essence, you're agreeing with us thinking that it's something that White Rose said. And it's also crazy because that's how season two ended when Trenton said the same words to Mobley when they were outside, when they were hiding right before Leon came into the scene. So yeah, yeah, this is
2: reverse everything.
1: This is something that we have to figure out. And again, time travel, we we just don't know yet.
2: Yeah, we don't have a lot of advancement on the theories for this episode. Everything was so hack driven and character driven that it didn't give us a lot more meat. But we did talk about some theories last time, including the one about Bitcoin mining. Um, As much as that's not a favorite theory of ours. We were happy to bring that up because it gave an alternative perspective to some of the sci-fi theories we've been talking about. So that was Metal Monkey that wrote into us, but he wanted to be sure that we give full credit to the Reddit user that came up with that theory, which is Shine McShine. So we did say we got it from Reddit, but thank you very much for that user and the information you put out on the theory.
1: Oren also had a few questions for us. Irving doesn't know about Mr. Robot, right? And I think we touched upon this. We believe he doesn't know what Elliot has done so far. Now, maybe you're asking he doesn't know about the split personalities. That I am not sure about.
2: I think he must know. He has to know that they exist. Because in that meeting between Angela, Irving, and Tyrell, when Darlene followed them and saw that happen... He was talking to her about her main role in this, which was to keep him under control and, and to keep those things in check. It sounded like that's what he was alluding to. And this is why she's keeping that from them. What's been happening with Elliot, because it was supposed to be her job to take care of him. But I don't know that for sure.
1: Another question he had is Angela had to hack the HSM for White Rose because Mr. Robot wasn't available, right? Well, again, I think we answered this, but in a different way. Yeah, she knew that Mr. Robot wasn't going to be there. Elliot was going to be there, and she didn't want Elliot to do it because obviously she knows that Elliot's trying to thwart that whole storyline.
2: Right, but why couldn't she have drugged him the way she's been doing to make Mr. Robot come out?
1: Because I think he gets knocked out first, and then Mr. Robot comes out, and she didn't have that kind of time.
2: Okay. It's very strange because we don't have that all figured out yet. I mean, I think that's... It's probably ongoing questions for many people who knows about this. How is it working? What is Angela actually fighting for? (laughs) Hopefully we'll get some answers to that by the end of this season. And coming out of this episode, I have to add to that. What's going to happen at the recovery center? Will Elliot have time to stop that or will it in fact blow up? And if it does, who's going down in that explosion? If they all make it out of it alive, will Elliot have any kind of relationship with Angela and or Darlene moving forward?
1: Maybe Darlene's the one that dies in that.
2: Yeah, that's what we speculated last episode. That was our theory. And I I do still think that that could happen, unfortunately. And also, did Angela miss something in the steps that she was running through when she was going through that? Hack on the HSM this episode.
1: And finally, Kirk wrote to us and said, in reference to your last episode cast, fun fact, I did talk with Steve Jobs before he launched the first Apple personal computer, and he did say it's going to change the world. He also said, like a bicycle improves the body's performance, it will be a bicycle for the brain. Now he's referring to when I gave that analogy... And I was trying to play devil's advocate about Angela asking Irving if he believes what White Rose said. And I said, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was just an inspiring conversation about something he was inventing. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was cool. And, and I wonder if Kirk could tell us if Steve Jobs was cool in real life or was he that dickish character that the movies <laughs> about him tend to make him look like?
2: Yeah, I would love to hear more about that.
1: And that's it for this episode. Just a few Coffee Clats Crew news before we leave. One is that next week we will be interviewing one of the lead developers for the new official Game of Thrones game called Game of Thrones Conquest. And it should be exciting. That interview, I believe we're going to push on all of our channels. So our main Coffee Clats Crew podcast channel, Game of Thrones, Mr. Robot, The Magicians, Sherlock, Westworld... We'll put it on all of them. This should be fun. Be sure not to miss it. And also just to remind you that we have a Patreon page. If you want to hear more from us, if you want to hear bonus content and movie reviews, just go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on Patreon, and check out how to become a member. This month, we're going to be reviewing two movies because we're making up for last month. And... The first movie we will be reviewing, The Clatchers Voted, and they have chosen Murder on the Orient Express. So after the interview, Christina and I will be going to the movies. We're going to check it out and we'll give a full review over there on Patreon. So be sure to check that out. Any closing remarks, closing hacks?
2: No, I think that about covers it. I mean, we saw the preview for next time, but it really didn't tell us much. So I'm just excited to see if this direction continues for the next episode.
1: Awesome. Be sure to tell Achilles thank you for being quiet for the entire episode.
2: Yeah, he got interested in what we were saying and quieted, quieted down.
1: I think so. He'll be tweeting about us later. Til next, <laughs> <laughs> till next week, this round's on me. This round is on me! <laughs>